We are continually in the, in the season of Christmas because you came and you're here. And that never changes. But in this, in this time, especially this week, we, we take pause to celebrate especially that reality that the Son of God came to earth in the form of a small little infant just because you love us. And the story began unfolding from there. So, Lord, bless this time. Be, be with us and, and guard over the teaching of your word and guard over the hearing and receiving of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First lesson, first thing that I want to draw out is, is simply this, the priority of the corporate gathering. All right, we're going to start with some broad concepts, and, and as we move along, it'll funnel down, and we'll get a little more specific. Verse 41 says, now as his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Um, a, a, now, attending Passover wasn't an easy thing in those days. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't inexpensive. Mary and Joseph, this was not a wealthy family. Um, Joseph had a business to run. We know that the, the trip was, they would be gone at, at least a couple of weeks to, to, to make the trip, to spend the seven or eight days there, make the way back, the expenses that, that were involved and incurred in, in uh, making such a trip. Uh, remember, they're, they're, they're walking. They don't have buses and cars and trains to jump on, and they're walking. Um, so they're camping. They have to take supplies. They have to take all the things that they need. Um, so this was not a, a, a small thing, but it says that they do it continually. There's something about the, the corporate gathering that needs to be a priority in our lives. Um, and the priority simply means that everything else is less than. It means that we consider other things less important for us to invest ourselves in, to give ourselves to. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of conversation happening in the church world uh, right now, on, on, on the, at least on the leadership level, um, in light of the pandemic. And, and by faith, assuming that as we move into the new year, it's going to reduce and reduce, and we're going to finally get to a point somewhere where there's some normalcy, whatever that may be or will look like. But there's conversation uh, about, will Christians come back to church? Will, will the... Will the church be full again? Will Christians come back um, once they've gotten used to attending pajama fellowship? <laughs> will they, you know, will they reintroduce themselves and, and again make a priority the corporate gathering? Now, some conversations sign it goes sideways and they start villainizing technology. Like, oh, yeah, because... And, you know, in all honesty, I... I'm amazed at technology, and in this season, I'm very thankful. Because if it wasn't for that, we could do some of this stuff with a camera and, and reach into people's homes. I don't know how we would go through such a time. And so I, I'm thankful that, that we have some of the abilities that we have. But this time is going to pose a question to every believer, to every Christian. And the question is simply that, what priority am I going to give to the corporate gathering, to the coming together of the church, of physically meeting on a regular basis, and I'm going to make that a, a priority in my life. Some maybe have already started thinking about that. 
So I may have already had some of those conversations. I'm choosing to put my faith in you. I'm choosing to, to put my confidence in believers. I, I believe that the people of God know the difference and know what's at stake. I think, I think you know that a screen doesn't have a pulse. I, I think you're aware of that. I think that you're aware of there's a lot of communication loss between what happens here goes into a camera, comes out on a screen. There's a great communication loss in just in that process. I think you, you can understand that um, a camera can broadcast a picture, but it can't broadcast an atmosphere. Okay, there's something about atmosphere in, in coming together, being physically together. Let, let's always remember the, the essence of virtual is that it lacks reality, okay? On, on some level, in some way, it, it lacks reality. And, and if we're going to talk about corporate worship, corporate worship, to be corporate worship, requires corporate. <laughs> right? It's my way of thinking about things. Listen, God loves the gathering of his people. God loves it. He loves it when people set as a priority in their time, in their schedule, to gather together as the body of Christ. He, he loves that. And if I love God, I should be loving the things he loves. I should give, be giving myself to the things that give him pleasure. And also, any kind of philosophy or theology that says it's just Jesus and me isn't true. It, it, it may be that you have a relationship. I'm not de denying or minimizing that, but it's not the church he said he's going to build. Jesus and you is not the church he's building. Bad news. Jesus, you, and all of us is the church that he's building. Lesson number two. I told you these are going to be quick. The church is designed to be a family affair. Okay, it's a corporate gathering, it's a family affair. Verse 42 says, when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Okay, not only was it a personal priority, but it was a family habit. According to custom meant that it was their family practice. They did this every year. You know, they took this time out every year. Now, there were other festivals, too, that, that we don't know. Did they attend? They were, Mary and Joseph seemed to be in a very devout family. So this may have been, just been one of two or three trips that they would make annually. Imagine what that would do to your schedule and your budget and all those different things. But a priority is, is a priority. And, and whatever they did, whatever priority they established, it was their whole family went along. They took everybody they had. Um, I, I believe that integrating your lifestyle um, with the church life is one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself and for your family. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. It's one of the most beneficial things that you can do. In the early church, when the early church gathered, it was a family of families. That's what the church is. It's a collection. It's a, it's a, a joining, a coming together of, it's a family of families. It's the family of God. It's the children of God coming together to Father's house to worship him and to serve and edify and build up one another. That's family. And we can go outside the, the bounds of, of just Scripture. And there's a lot of research and study that's been done, and, and always with the same result, that 
people who grow up in intact families do better. There's more advantage and more benefit in being brought up and living in a family situation than not. And the same is true of the spiritual family. The same is true of the spiritual family. If we want to make sure that we don't misplace Christmas or that we uh, keep Christmas close, we each have a role to play in each other's lives to, to keep that alive and, and to make that um, happen in each other's lives. Lesson three, assumption endangers relationship. Assumption endangers relationship. Verse 43 in the first part of 44, when the feast ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be with the group. They went a day's journey. They walked for an entire day. All right. So again, remember this, understand this setting. This wasn't just Mary and Joseph and their family making this trip. When Passover came, their whole city, their whole community, their whole village packed up and went. They went in mass. They traveled, you know, in, in concert with one another. It was like this big caravan, this large parade. It was all these families um, packing up. I, I could imagine the preparation of all the, all the ladies comparing meals. Well, you bring that. No, you bring the flour. I'll bring the sugar. You bring. It, was a, it was a big deal, the, this journey that they were on. And it, you can just imagine how hectic it was. And, and because it was such a close-knit community, and because of being busy and distracted, it was very easy to assume. It was very easy to make an assumption that Jesus is with us. It says they supposed him to be with the group. They just supposed, oh, he, yeah, he always hangs out with that family. They probably got him, and we'll, we'll catch up later. And, and it's, a, it's a common mistake we can make in our spiritual journeys if we're not cautious. We love Jesus. He's a vital part of our life. We're not intentionally trying to dismiss him in, in any way, yet we misplace him. Because we don't give him the direct attention, perhaps, that he deserves. We assume that we know where he is, what he's thinking, what he expects or wants. But we never talk to him. We never actually put our eyes on him. And we get distracted just by doing the stuff of life. Not bad things, not wrong things, just things with the assumption he's with me and I'll check in with him later. I know no one in this room and no one online has have had that problem, but I heard there are Christians who do that. See, like Mary and Joseph, it's possible that, that can, we can be distracted, that can happen, and then we travel a while before we realize, oh, something's missing. Something's, something's off, off center in, in life. You know, it was a very interesting experience to go to Bible school. It was a good, very good experience, but, but in some ways, and I didn't realize it until actually looking back on it, but um, you, you go into this environment and everything's Christian. Yeah, everything's Christian. Everybody's a Christian. It, it, it's just, you know, it, it's just this, this community, and, and the assumption is everything's good. Everybody's fine. Everybody's motivation is pure everybody's intention is good every everything we do must be right you know our, we pray before all of our classes we have chapel every day we you know you, you do all these things half of half of my you know study classes were were bible based and, and ministry based um, we're, we're 
praying, we're having special meetings, we're doing all these things all the time. And it was very easy to go through that and stop personal devotions and not spend time with the Lord. On the assumption, it's all good. On the assumption, everything's fine. There's probably a reason why the Apostle Paul told Christians, examine yourself to be sure you're walking in the faith. Be sure that you're making a journey and, and he's with you. And you're in close contact with the Lord himself. Lesson number four, the wisdom of relationship and returning. That's another lesson that we see here. It says he began to, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem to, to search for him. Okay, they took inventory. They, they stopped, finally stopped at a moment, and they took inventory, and they realized their loss, that, that Jesus isn't, isn't here. They thought he was with him. Can you imagine that moment? That, that's every parent's nightmare, by the way. This, this terrible moment falls on, but they did two very important things. Two things that I suggest in, in, in our lives, that we make sure that these are part of how we think and how we process things in life. Number one, they leaned into their relationships. It says that they started with their relatives and, and friends. They went to family and friends first. We're in trouble. We're... we're, we're we don't know where, Je where, where Jesus is, okay? Now, that's a practical issue. In, in our essence, we're saying, you know, there's been failure in my life. There's been distancing in my life. There's been, there's been so I just know that he's, I'm not as close to him as, as it was at another time. I, I, don't, I don't feel and sense the vibrancy of our relationship anymore. Now, that's hard to admit to somebody. That, that's hard and difficult for us to, to say. It, it you know, we want to keep these certain images in front of one another. We want you to, I want you to believe that I'm just, you know, just this always spiritually intact and in tune and, and growing from there. You know, we, we want each other to think of. So it's hard to do that. But at some point, you have to realize, as I'm sure they did, that the risk of asking for help was minimal compared to the risk of not asking. When you consider what's at stake, when you consider what's really um, in play here. There, there was a time in our, in our family life growing up, um, not me growing up, but our family, um, when, when Jeremy went MIA. You, I know you'd have a hard time believing that about Pastor Jeremy, but there was a time he just sort of checked out on us. And um, it, it was not a great time. It was not a time I'd recommend or and desire anyone to experience. It was a lot of not sleeping. It was a lot of scenarios that you had to continually contend with in your head and imaginations that you had to do something with. It was, it was a horrific time. And during that time, there were some folks here that we went to. There were some folks here who we didn't have to go to them. They, they knew us, were close enough to us that they knew something was off. And they, they came to us. We leaned into because we recognized our own weaknesses. We recognized that we needed help in this area. And I can tell you something, I believe this with all my heart, that Pastor Jeremy is Pastor Jeremy is a pastor in this church today because so many of you pray for him. 
And, I, and Meryl and I are forever grateful for that reality. And the encouragement that it brought us, the strength that it brought us during that time. Listen, there's something very, very beneficial about having a community of faith around you where you've built relationships, where people know you and you know people. And especially when crisis comes. Especially when, when crisis comes. See, I, I'm confident. They went to their relatives. They went to their friends. I'm sure in verse 46 where it says that, that they couldn't find him you know, amongst the group. It says they didn't find him, so they returned to Jerusalem. I, I'm convinced. I'm sure that they wasn't just Joseph and Mary. I'm absolutely convinced that when the community found out what was going on, there was an entourage that went back. There was relatives and friends that went with them because that's people. That's a, you know, every now and then you get these amber alerts. Now, when I get an amber alert, I look and, and I, I see that, that somebody's child, you know, and, and I pray. I mean, what else can you do? There's no connections. But if I get an amber alert and it's your child, I'm getting in the car. I'm picking up the phone. Right? It's, it's different. And we need that in our lives. We, we must have that. And the only way I know to build that kind of community is to be that kind of community with someone else, for someone else. To invest yourself. Because crisis is too late. You can't build those kinds of relationships in the crisis. That is lifestyle. It's lifestyle. The second thing they did is they returned to the place they last saw him. They went back to Jerusalem. Sometimes you have to retrace your steps. Isn't that how you find things? A constant daily exercise in our house is finding Marilyn's glasses. Okay? And my question is always the same every time. Where'd you have them last? Last. You know. Um, and it's, it's just our, our form of recreation. It's just... <laughs> but sometimes you have to retrace. Now, it's never convenient. It's never comfortable. It's never inexpensive. They, had, they already traveled a day's journey off a, out of a four or five-day trip. Now they had to go back again and then to start all over. So it's, it's never easy to, to return. It's, it's not always comfortable to return. It's not always easy to admit it and, and go back. But sometimes you just have to do what you have to do in order to regain what you lost. In order to recapture that thing that you're, you prize and that thing that you're missing. Maybe the journey back involves repentance. Maybe the journey back involves renewing a prayer life. Maybe it involves obedience, some point of obedience where you, you went astray, some area of service that you, you let down, ministry to the Lord that you let go of for wrong reasons or without even asking. Maybe it's a, place, a journey of worship. Maybe it's a journey of, of forgiveness, granting or asking for. Whatever the journey is, you must take it. If you want to restore the relationship, you must take the journey. Now, the good news is there's always a way back. When we're talking about the Lord, there's always a way back. He never abandons us. He never says, hey, that three strikes, you're out. Seventy times seven. Limitless. His, his heart towards you is limitless and endless in his desire to receive you back to himself. Lesson number five. 
It's a word for young people, especially middle, middle school through college age, young people. It says that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, young people, I want you to know something. There's a value in having relationships, building relationships, going after relationships in, with people who are not your peers. Other than your peers. They found him in the temple with the teachers. Not in the temple where he was in a room. He was in the same room with the teachers. He was with the teachers on purpose. Listen, they didn't even initiate it. He initiated it. He, he made it happen. Young people, don't avoid being in those situations. Don't avoid seeking or putting yourself in a place with your parents or with other godly men and women. Of, of Christ. Don't be ashamed to ask a question or listen to a conversation. Don't always be looking to just rush to your peers because it's easier, it's more comfortable, it's more fun. You can have some great friends, but you could also hinder each other from growing because you're peers. You, I hope you're all understanding that. This isn't a scolding. It's just an encouragement. Don't avoid being around situations. In fact, look for them. Look for opportunities. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, with favor, and in favor with God and man. This was the son of God, but he still had to learn. He still had to increase. And one of the ways he did it was recognizing that letting others give input into his life, the teachers, the elders, let them give input into his life. And I pray that Christian Assembly is and always continues to be a community that, that encourages and incorporates and, and supports intergenerational ministry. We say it, we want to be intergenerational in our ministry, and we are. But I hope we see it as a value. I, I hope as the adult community, we are continuing looking for young people to encourage in their gifts to encourage in their walk in the Lord. To, so maybe, maybe if they have a question someday, they're not afraid or embarrassed to come and ask you because you've built a bridge. Because there's an awareness and understanding already in place. Okay, now the core, the core lesson. <laughs> the core lesson of the story, my, my sixth point and final one, I promise. Remember who he is and you'll know where he is. Remember who he is, you'll know where he is. Verses 48 to 50. His parents saw him. They were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. Listen, they didn't understand what he told them because they forgot who he was. They were just interested in finding out where he was. And they forgot about who he was. And there's an important connection there that I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to make. You know, Mary's reaction was common. And, and, and we probably, if you're a parent, you've probably had this type of experience where you, you, you don't know what's happening with your child and you're, you're filled with fear, you're filled with anxiety. All these stories are being created in your mind. And then they walk in the door safe and sound. And all of that concern and all of that pleading with God turns into rage. Yeah. 
you know, and this kid that you were willing to lay down your life for so they're their safety, you not want to kill them, you know. <laughs> You've never done that. See, and all that emotion turns to anger. Well, we find that it, Mary, she they finally find Jesus, and what does she do? She scolds him. Um, because she, she's subject, subjected Jesus' activity to, to her comfort. She evaluated what Jesus was doing based on what made her comfortable. Now, here's, here's the part of the story where we got to make a little adjustment, okay? We have to factor in Jesus' divinity at this point. Because in Scripture, when, whenever, whatever's included in Scripture... The stories, the parables, the different... It's not just for our entertainment, okay? There's always spiritual application that is why the Holy Spirit put it in Scripture. So we want to, we want to factor in the fact that, that this is the divine Son of God, and there's probably something here more than what we see on the surface. See, Mary's reaction is predictable. It's how we would react. But Jesus' response is notable. And that's what I want to take a minute to do. The, the, Jesus' response to that situation was not the reaction of a normal 12-year-old boy. It wasn't. Not when I was 12. When I got in trouble when I was 12, I looked for what? Ways to get out of trouble. I, I started making excuses. Well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. I thought you'd come for me when it was time to go. Or the, the good old standby. You know, Jesus had a, a younger brother, James. I told James. Right? That, that's the typical 12-year-old response. But instead, 12-year-old Jesus asks, well, you think about it, an odd question. Why are you looking for me? Hello? First, it's probably not a smart question to ask a parent who's already really ticked off. Right? Why are you looking for me? Have you noticed in life, and you've all experienced it, you've probably all done it, but I won't ask you to admit it. But sometimes a question isn't a question. It's not a question. It comes in the form of a question, but it's not in anticipation of an answer. And especially in scenarios like this one. If you've had any of those kind of family interchanges or there are certain times there were children and children especially man you got to wise up you got to learn those aren't questions nothing good's going to happen if you try and answer it and i've been in those situations and i've tried at different times to answer the question and it's not wise i'm just telling you what were you thinking it's not a question <laughs> who do you think you are Mister. Now the question's bad enough, but when, when mom added the mister to it, oh brother. See, it's, not, it's not a question. If your friends jumped off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff? Or the good old standby. What do you think I am? Don't answer that question. It's not a question. See, Jesus wasn't asking, why are you searching for me? He wasn't questioning that they were concerned and they wanted, they wanted to recapture him. They wanted to, to, to gain and know where he was. That's, that wasn't the question. He wasn't asking about why do you want to, to find why do you want me in your life? He was saying, why did it require a search? Why were you searching? Mary says, 
We've been looking everywhere for you. And he's saying, I don't understand why you were searching. Not, I, I, don't, I don't understand. He wasn't saying, why are you looking for me? Like, I don't want to ever come home. He, wasn't, he was saying, why? I don't understand the search. See, because Mary and Joseph's priority was where he was. They looked everywhere that they could possibly think. He said, why are you looking for me? Don't you know? Don't you remember? Don't you understand that I must be in my father's house? In other words, mom, dad, if you'd have paused for just a second and not worried about where I am, but remembered who I am, you would have known where to go. You'd known how to find me. You could have avoided the search and gone right to the find. You could have saved all that time and effort and anxiety if you'd have stopped and disconsidered what you already know. Joseph and Mary knew who Jesus was. Maybe not in full revelation, but they knew a lot. They knew what Gabriel told Mary at the incarnation. They knew what the conversation between Mary and Elizabeth when they were both still pregnant and, and the children were still were not yet born. And the, the prophetic utterance that Elizabeth gave to Mary. They knew the dreams that Joseph had, the angels speaking to him in dreams. They knew what the shepherds had told them that the angels had said on that wonderful night. They knew the prophetic insight that Simeon had in the temple when they took Jesus to be um, dedicated to, to the Lord. They knew about the experience when Jesus was now just a little toddler and suddenly these magi knock on their front door with gifts. They knew who Jesus was. And also, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm safe in saying this, that this probably wasn't strange behavior on Jesus' part. His interest in the scripture, his interest in the temple wasn't new. I'm sure that in their daily home life, they knew and they recognized that there's something about this child. You know, when we, you bring up children, sometimes you can just, you can just tell there's, there's ministry all over that kid. You know, we recognize sometimes that, that we see a calling in, in young people at early ages even. This wasn't new for Jesus. He was always drawn to the things of God. He was always wanting to talk about the things of God. Why? Because Jesus always knew who he was. See, they knew who Jesus was. They just forgot. Don't you know I have to be in my father's house? He was making a statement. He was saying, my who isn't to just be a son in Joseph's house. My who is to be a son in my father's house. Joseph wasn't his father. In fact, after this account, Joseph disappears from Scripture. Most think that he just died during that, that period of time. From here, it's going to be another 18 years before we see Jesus again. And he comes out as a man preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and and Joseph is not a part of the story. Jesus is saying, I, I appreciate your coming to find me. But if you had to pause to think about who I am and not worry about so much about where I am, the who would have answered the where. And the temple would have been your first stop instead of your last stop. 
See, seeking Jesus is always right. If you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek for me with your whole heart, seek first. The kingdom of seeking Jesus is, is always a right thing. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is not, is a, is a person. Do you see that? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a person. Not just a place. It's a person. We have to learn to seek who he is. And Jesus says, if you'll build your life on who I am, you'll always know where to find me. You'll always know how to get to me. You'll always know how to have access to me. Is it making sense to you? Just a little bit? Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and the life. Now, these aren't places. These aren't destinations. This is a person to know. They're not places to arrive at. It's a person to know. And if you know the person, you'll arrive at the right place every time. If you pursue the person, who he is, he'll get you to all the other places in life that you need to be. Let's stand. I need to wrap this up. See, it's possible to be where someone is, but not know who they are. I contended for many years in working with young people that the hardest, the hardest teenager to get saved was the one brought up in church. Because where they are is, is a good place. They're nice kids. They know all the songs. They can, they've memorized scripture. They show up in, in class every week. They're, you know, they, where they are is a good place, but they never really learned who Jesus was. And so when life happens, they're in jeopardy. They're in peril. But if we'll just go after who he is, if we'll just go after who he is, We'll just build a relationship with who he is. We'll never find ourselves in a position where we don't know where he is. How do, you, how do you keep Christmas close? How do you not misplace Christmas? You've already heard it mentioned today. We, we need this Christmas. Right now in this country, in this world, we need Christmas right now. We need something that reminds us there's something and someone bigger and better and greater who's got it all under control. He's taking care of all of it. If you build a relationship with him to continually seek who he is, you'll always know where to find him. You'll always know where to find him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your love and your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And you came not to establish a religion, but a relationship. You came to open a path whereby we can know you.
not just know about you, but we can know you. We can walk step by step with you. We, we can embrace you and you embrace us. We, we can speak to you and you, can, and you speak to us and we can hear you. And, and we can get to know your, your moods and your ideas and your thoughts and your ways as we give our lives to knowing you. Lord, help every one of us to build continually, daily, that relationship. Lord, I pray if there's any here today or listening to this message, wherever they are, and they feel a distancing from you, they don't feel close to you, or they feel like somewhere in their journey they've misplaced you, Father, would you just, just run to them right now? Jesus, just flood where they are with your presence. Let them just know in their, in their heart of hearts that you are there and you're just, you're just pulling them and, and urging them to come back, to restore, to renew that which they've lost. God, I, I thank you for this day and this moment. I ask your blessings to rest on your people. And Father, may you all around the world, especially this week, be celebrated, be honored, be glorified as King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. On your way out, if you want to receive or take some of the uh, little portable communion packets, please feel free to do that. I'm glad you were here today. I'm glad you were online today. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed Christmas.